Welcome to Questioning Your Answers podcast, where we explore beauty and transform our narratives. It is an absolute joy for me to uh, introduce our audience, our friends, for those of you who don't know Thomas Ort yet, uh, you're going to be so pleasantly um, surprised with a, a, a new voice and, and the insights that um, Thomas has. I first read, um, I think it was God in the Open Universe uh, oh. by, by Tom a number of years ago and so enjoyed the, that sweet spot where science and philosophy and theology, you know, the different sciences and the dif different disciplines can see together and can enrich our experience. So, um, Thomas, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thanks you for the invitation. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Awesome. So there are so many ideas and concepts that I have found enriching specifically because those ideas were subverted in my process of, of relationship with God. I, I started with one idea of what perfection means and, and what providence means and, and who God is. And God graciously, through great patience and conversation, subverted and inverted many of those ideas. So today we're going to look at the idea of perfection. Um, we can't really separate these ideas neatly. They're also interrelated, but at least what we're going to try and do is give one of those concepts some focus and then move on to the other ideas and the relationships between them will become clear. So per perfection. Uh, all of us have got some kind of idea of what it means, and I'm I'm sure those ideas, whether we're conscious of it or not, have been influenced by philosophical speculations about those ideas. And Thomas, maybe I can bring you in there to give us one or two definitions or ideas of perfection. Yeah, when I think about perfection and divine perfection in particular, my mind goes to Jesus and uh, the Sermon on the Mount. I think it's Matthew's version in which uh, the um, writers seem to have Jesus conclude with this provocative statement, be perfect as your Father in heaven or heavenly Father is perfect. That is a wild, wild charge because uh, we have so many different notions of perfection. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when I'm uh, speaking to audiences, especially if it's a more casual setting, I like to begin by asking uh, if there's anyone in the audience who will claim to be perfect. <laughs> and usually some smart aleck in the back will raise his hand and we'll all have a good laugh. Uh, most people don't want to claim perfection of themselves, but they have no problem saying God is perfect. Mm -hmm. However, many people don't know that in the history of philosophy and theology, there's been a variety of different understandings of perfection, and one in particular dominated in Christian theology for almost 1,800, 1,900 years. Mm. And it 
uh, is a view of perfection that many people say arises from what we call the Neoplatonic or Greek philosophical traditions. And I like to call it a hierarchical view of perfection. Mm -hmm. So imagine there's something like a ladder and the bottom of the ladder is the most imperfect mm -hmm. and the very top rung is absolute perfection. Yes. If you have that notion of perfection, then of course God is somehow related to the very top rung. Mm -hmm. God is absolutely perfect. But the Greeks thought that if God was absolutely perfect, then God could not change in any way whatsoever. After all, any change from absolute perfection would be to a lower rung, to move down. Yes. And they didn't want a God who was almost perfect. <laughs> they wanted a God who was absolutely perfect. Yes. And so therefore they said, well, God's absolutely perfect. God can't change because any change could only be from absolute perfection to something less. And therefore, they spun out this view of an unchanging God, unchanging in all respects whatsoever. Wow. And most people, they kind of, that doesn't bother them at first until they actually read the Bible. <laughs> and until they actually think about what it means to be a loving person who's engaging and receiving and affected and influenced. Mm -hmm. They read about the God in the Bible who more than 40 times says to have a change of mind, to repent. Sometimes this God is angry, but then mellows out and cools down. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's all kinds of things going on in the Bible. So one of the you mentioned about changing your mind, those 40 scriptures specifically refers to God changing his mind about the situation or people. That's amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. Most people don't think God can ever change God's mind because in their view, God knows everything that's going to happen, and therefore God would know how it's all going to play out, including how God is going to act if they think God acts, and therefore God would never have a reason to have a change of mind. Yes. And yet the biblical stories over and over again have a God who's in the midst of things, yes. uh, acting but also responding. And that Greek idea of perfection is very much a thinking around a state of being. Um, there's no, and I guess part of what makes it still beautiful and attractive, Plato and Aristotle, these guys loved ideas because in ideas they could find the kind of stability and perfection that they did not find in reality. Um, I know all of these ideas are interrelated, but even the uh, what goes with changelessness is Plato's idea of time and eternity. And, and all these ideas, he kind of put them in opposition to one another, that within time we've got constant change. And so within his idea of eternity, it had to be changeless. It had to be permanent. And however appealing those ideas are, and, you know, we've had thousands of years to, to meditate upon them and, and see beauty in them that I think Blake himself did not even see in it, but they remain um, 
they only remain in the realm of ideas. Nothing in reality actually fits that category of perfection because in reality, we have time. We have change. That, that is part of relationship. That is part of what makes us human. Part of what, uh, what gives creation an opportunity to exist is this movement. Yeah, that's very well put. Yeah. I mean, uh, we we look at numbers. Numbers don't change. Two is two forever. Yeah. Uh, and if God is like a number, then God would not change. Mm. But if God is like a person, the persons we know change. <laughs> they develop, they grow. Um, and so if you start with a particular understanding of perfection that's more like the numbers and mathematics, and then you think God is like that, you're probably going to have a God who's not personal. Yes. And again, that's not the kind of image we get from Scripture. Yeah. Now, of course, what some people do with Scripture, when they see God portrayed as a person, as having feelings, emotions, making changes, interacting, they'll say, well, that's just us projecting our understanding of what it means to be human upon God. It's anthropomorphism, to use the fancy language. Yes. Um, and therefore, we should just reject as anything true, any kind of uh, biblical statements about God as personal. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's the right way to go, but I understand why some people go that direction because mm -hmm. I do think the Bible uses language that we shouldn't always take literally. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think that God is literally a rock when it says mm -hmm. God is a rock. Yeah. So we have to do some work in the text to try to make sense of things. Yeah. I'm just of the opinion we shouldn't throw out all the personal language and we should talk about some ways in which God is changing and yet still perfect. Because there needs to be something true about the metaphors that are used within the language to give it any meaning whatsoever. If we can exactly. just all the metaphors and say, well, this is just God accommodating himself to your childish way of understanding things. Um, and then we reinterpret those texts to actually say the exact opposite of what it's saying. Then you you left wondering, what's the use of all these stories if they actually say nothing? But in right. those 40 instances that you mentioned of God changing his mind, uh, I think the authors wanted to say something about the kind of relationship, the kind of effect that our thoughts, our decisions, uh, and our relationships with one another and with God can have upon God. So there's something true about the metaphors. Yeah, uh, I agree with you. Yeah. I, I also think yeah. that early Christians and even some writers of scripture, perhaps, um, we're reacting against uh, how the some of the Greek gods were portrayed. Mm. Uh, if you you know if you if you know anything about Greek mythology, you'll you'll know that the gods are sometimes fighting with each other, and they have all kinds of moral imperfections, and they get mad at one another, and so they abuse and kill others, and and this kind of a god who has no moral stability. 
mm-hmm. who is changing left and right without any kind of ultimate foundation, that doesn't sound very attractive either. Yeah. So it would be natural to want to move away from that. I just think that uh, many people moved too far and didn't account for what was positive in the personal views of God. Absolutely. Now, I would love for us to get to the to a new understanding of perfection that is more dynamic. But before we go there, to make this a bit more relevant, um, the way in which this static hierarchical state of perfection affected not only theology, but the traditions, the the way in which uh, our pastors told us how to live it out. I think many, many people today still can identify with this continual striving and failure to reach this imagined state of perfection. What is your experience been with the implications of the Platonic idea of perfection on the actual practice of, of being a believer? Yeah, so here I'm kind of shifting from thinking of God as perfect to could I be perfect? Could mm-hmm. I actually fulfill what Jesus seems to have said that I ought to be perfect? Yeah. Um, now I, I begin by saying almost nobody claims that they are perfect. Those who do, we usually laugh at them and they laugh at themselves. Um, so what is Jesus saying there? Is Jesus putting a bar so high, knowing we could never reach that bar, but just saying you need to try? Mm-hmm. Um That's the way some people look at it. And then they'll say, well, if you don't reach the bar, then you deserve hell. (laughs) So then you've got Jesus setting us up here for failure from the start. Here's the bar you got to reach. You can never reach it. You're going to be punished for not reaching it. And therefore, that's your lot. And then the kind of atonement theory that gets stuck in there is that somehow Jesus reached the bar in our place. And even though we're sorry sinners and can't be transformed, thank God for Jesus because Jesus took our place. That's the kind of way the line usually goes. Mm. Um, I find that highly problematic. Mm. Um, I think there's another way to think about perfection for us. And this is not just perfection in the sense of acting for the purpose for which we were made. I'll call that the second view of perfection. Some people look at the hierarchical view and they'll say, well, let's, what did Aristotle say about perfection? Well, Aristotle seemed to have something about a thing is perfect if it's used for the purpose it was made for. Mm-hmm. And then they'll say, well, humans are made for this. When they act in this way, they're perfect. So maybe humans were made to worship God. When they worship God, then they're perfect in that moment. That gets us a little bit closer, but I don't know about you, but I don't always worship God. (laughs) So I'm not perfect in that sense either. Um, I like to think about perfection as responding to God moment by moment. Mm -hmm. That is, in our momentary lives, God calls us to act in certain ways. And when we respond appropriately to God, we can be perfect in that moment doesn't mean we're perfect in every moment for all time. I happen to think perhaps Jesus was perfect in that way. But you and I, we can be perfect in any particular moment as our Heavenly Father is perfect when we respond appropriately to God's call. 
Now, that brings a whole new dimension to perfection because instead of it being a hierarchical state, you've now introduced time mm -hmm. and, uh, and process and, and movement. And one of the implications that I'm thinking of if I take it back to how does it apply to God, the God who is perfect in the platonic sense that he cannot change, that there's no unfulfilled potentialities, that there's, uh, there's nothing better than what we can imagine than that state of being. I find a real deficiency with that view of um, perfection as it relates to God because of this. The ability to create something new, the ability to actually have unfulfilled possibilities, to make possibilities real, that, that is an act of creation and that mm. that is inherent to what we understand the creator to be is he is actualizing realizing possibilities that weren't real before and, and this is where perfection possibilities providence all the all the peace and the, the concepts starts working together but that is beautiful in, in the way in which you applied it to the individual as well, that perfection is not just a far-off future state that I aspire to, but in this moment, I can sense the possibilities that my Abba is opening up for me. And I think it's creating and realizing that that possibility, I can taste the bliss of participating in this divine nature, this perfection right here and right now. Love it. Yeah, I think that's right. And in this kind of being perfect in the moment mm. is not usually some kind of heroic act of, you know, profound love and generosity. I think the conversation you and I are having right now, we're likely being perfect moment by moment because given all of the variables that have come together to make this conversation possible and my belief that God wants us to be thinking about these important issues and going deep, we, you and I, in this moment and the next moment and the next moment might be acting perfectly right here and now just doing a, an interview. Wow. This is not, you know, picking up beggars from the streets of Calcutta, India. This is just having a conversation. But given all the possibilities and constraints, this is what's perfect for you and me right now. I love it. And that, that suddenly brings it into the realm of reality. This is no yeah. longer just a perfection that's an idea, but a perfection that we can participate in. One of the things that... You, you touched on is in many of our traditions when perfection is a goal, is a state of being that we we strive to, there is that opportunity to be constantly disappointed and constantly 
feeling condemned that we we haven't quite reached it. Um, but with a dynamic understanding of perfection, I can, in whatever moment I'm in, right here, right now, taste that perfection. Not this, you know, it's not like I've taken a road 20 miles away from perfection and now it's going to take me the same 20 miles to get back to it. In this moment, there are possibilities opening up for me that allows me to participate in the divine nature. And that also, for me, takes it away from a prideful achievement. This is not something that I just achieve in my own right. This is something that I'm invited to participate in. But God in this moment sits in, stands in front of us or sits together with us, however you want to see it. See, God yes. in this moment opening up possibilities. And as we say yes, as we are drawn to the better of those possibilities, we are starting to actually have a practical experience of the beauty, the goodness, and the bliss of God's perfection. It makes yeah, it more real. Yeah, that's beautifully said. Uh, and I just want to say I endorsed everything you said there. Uh, and let me add one other dimension to it. And that is uh, this way of thinking means that our lives and choices really matter, mm -hmm. that our lives are significant. Yes. We not only make a difference to the world, to our families, to our friends, to our enemies, we actually make a difference to God in this moment-by-moment -moment engagement. I find a lot of people today, when they think about how big the world is, how many people are there, that we're one world and, you know, 300 billion galaxies, they start to think their lives are insignificant and worthless. Mm -hmm. But this way of thinking means that the choices you and I make moment-by-moment -moment make an ultimate difference. And I think that's powerful. That is, especially... In, in the light of what you said about relationship with God, that God is truly affected by this relationship, then we can imagine the unimaginable, and that is that our lives, in a sense, enriches God's own experience. <laughs> yes. What a, what a thought. And, and how much sense does that make? Why would God... While they're creating, why would he do all of this if, um, if in himself he did not sense a value and something good and something beautiful about creating a, a creation that can participate with him in his own goodness and in a sense, therefore, enrich him if in no other way but in the way that some of the possibilities that was unrealized in God is now realized in, in creation. Yeah, that's that, right. I mean that, oh, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go for it. Oh, I was, I was going to say there's these ideas that, that I'll call it a classical view of God mm -hmm. that kind of work together. One of them we've already mentioned, that God is unchanging. Mm -hmm. The classic language is immutable. Another one is that God is unaffected. The classic language is impassable. And the third one is that God has no desires whatsoever. 
So this, a God who can't change, who's unaffected, doesn't have any desires, is not a relational God, is Mm -hmm. not a God who creates with possibilities and enjoys how we might respond to those possibilities. Mm -hmm. It's not a God who's affected by our prayers and by our lives. Mm -hmm. It's not a God who in any sense changes in giving and receiving a relationship. And the kind of God that you and I are presenting is very different from, we'll call it that classic view of a impassable, immutable, and undesiring God. And thankfully, I think that God is like the ideas that birth that God of immutability, impossibility, and unaffected has no real existence except in that realm of ideas. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. But the, the God that we encounter within the stories that people tell within scriptures is a God that very much embeds himself into our reality. I mean, Jesus doesn't come and make excuses for the fact that God has taken on flesh and, and somehow try and justify and say, listen, I'm, I'm just doing this for a while and I'll be out of here again. But even, <laughs> even Paul makes no excuse that the fullness of the Godhead felt, found a home within bodily form in, in this person of Jesus, that God is not somehow offended or diminished by creation but rather finds existence and finds expression and finds a harmony within creation and becomes in that way much more tangible, much more real. Yeah, I totally agree. And this then is going to change the way we think about God's perfection. Mm. So I began by criticizing uh, what we you call the hierarchical, or I call the latter view of perfection. Mm. And that is, if God is absolutely perfect, God could not change. Otherwise, God would be down. I do want to say God is perfect, but not in that sense. Yes. I think God moment by moment acts perfectly, acts perfectly in creating and generating, perfectly in receiving and responding, perfectly loving, perfectly knowing, all those kinds of things. I still want to say about God being perfect. It's just that I think God is perfect moment by moment, or to say it another way, God is in time, temporal, experiencing all that exists just like we, at least and somewhat analogous to how we are in time giving and receiving. Mm. So I still have a perfect God. It's just a different way of thinking about divine perfection. A much more dynamic perfect. Yes. Much more yes. of a tangible perfection than just a theoretical perfection. Well, yeah. I so appreciate that. Please, please carry on. Yeah, I, I want to introduce one other idea here. I, I, you're familiar with it, but I'm guessing that not everyone who listens or watches this might be familiar. And that is the idea that in one respect, God is unchanging, and in another respect, God changes. In one respect, God is unaffected. And in another respect, God is affected. Mm. And the way this is usually talked about in academic theology is dipolar theism. It's not a word I particularly like myself, but it's a way to talk about how God has experiences that are changing, 
but a nature or an essence that is unchanging. Mm -hmm. So to go back to my reference to the Greek gods who, you know, were personal beings, but had all these moral failings. And so, you know, people say, well, we don't want a God with moral failings. Uh, this view that God's nature is unchanging, eternal, fixed, immutable, etc., that allows God to be loving at all times and all places, and God will never not love anyone because that's God's nature. Hmm. But because God experiences time moment by moment, God is an experiencing being, God engages in giving and receiving and therefore changes in experience moment by moment. Um, that, I think, is one of the most important and profound ideas that uh, the 20th century has provided to theology. I mean, you could find hints of it previously, but it was best articulated first in the 20th century. And, and so I find that thought fascinating as well, because if we put it in that context of, of Jesus revealing a God in contrast to the the um, gods that were so fickle that one day they could be for you and the next day against you. One day they would love you, the next day they would slaughter your family. In that, <laughs> right. In that context, the revelation of the true God is such good news because part of his nature is faithfulness. Now, right. we experience that quality with some people in our lives. We know that there are people you can rely on and people you can't. People who have developed that quality of faithfulness and if they've given their word, they will stick to it and do whatever is within their power to fulfill um, their promise, etc. So we are familiar with a quality that of faithfulness in people who are simultaneously growing and, uh, nice. and being enriched and changing, they've got changing experiences, etc. And so again, we can think of God in those terms. Jesus uses the metaphor of a, of a parent, of a father. Now, I know my parents have changed throughout since when I was a toddler to now. Yet there are some qualities that have only become um, richer and stronger and, and their faithfulness, etc., have continued. So again, even we're needing to find language, as you say, to speak of God's unchanging faithfulness and the fact that he is still, or she, or God is still, actualizing possibilities that were unrealized before. So there is something changing as well. And that for me is now a beautiful quality. I can't, mm. I can't take away the realization of possibilities or this process of creativity. I can't take that out of the equation of who God is and not feel that I'm diminishing. So there's, there's something about creativity, about unfulfilled potential that is enriching who God is rather than enriching yeah. Him. That I'm totally story, with you. <laughs> the story is not finished. It's still right. unfolding. And, and one of the most exciting things, and hopefully we can have 
many more conversations on this, <laughs> is how we are invited to participate in this process of realizing these, these possibilities. Yeah. yeah, I like that. I'd, I'd be happy to have another conversation on that important topic. Awesome. Well, Tom, I want to thank you on my behalf and on behalf of everyone who's listening for getting up early. <laughs> <laughs> I know our time differences are so big. Uh, and so thank you for making the effort and helping us to appreciate this very um, important quality about God and ourselves. We appreciate oh, thanks for forward to having you back. Great. Thanks for the invitation, Andre. I've enjoyed it. Thank you for joining us today. And please don't forget to subscribe on our website, qyourapodcast.com. Thank you.